I'm an ordinary person, but I kind of spent half my working life working in, in the church and loved it um, quite a long time, actually. And then I've spent the last 16 years of my life working as a psychotherapist. So I kind of bring these two worlds together, which is a very privileged place to, to be. So Anne started this series off brilliantly last week. This series is taken from this book, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. And tonight I'm particularly looking at chapter five. If you kind of like this, I kind of feel like this is a bit introductory, but there's certain things I want to kind of put across. But you might feel, well, that's all very well, Jill, but how, you know, what's the next step? And we're going to trust God with that because I believe that people are, we're going on a journey. Um, in this community, and I think there's going to be lots more. Um, so here's the book. Um, I also wanted just to, to draw attention to um, the picture uh, that Sarah painted last week, which I thought was prophetic for the whole series. And it actually says, I don't know if you can read it at the back, claim, come stand in the territory that is yours. And I kind of had in my head, claim your territory. And I think that's what this whole series is about. Um, Ben said this morning that the kind of two keys in life was to know who you are, know who you are, and find your purpose and identity. And I think knowing who you are, your purpose and identity, a lot of us struggle with knowing what our purpose and identity is, um, but if you allow God to work in your identity, then the other stuff will kind of, you'll be catapulted into it automatically. And... It's kind of like sometimes we're living, I, some, I know I used to feel like this, I used, I'm living everybody else's life, and it suddenly hit me, probably far too late in life, that actually I was living someone else's life, and I just needed to simply accept who I was and stand in it. Um, I know that sounds very simple, and it isn't always. So kind of accept who you are, become who you are, and this, so much is hanging on this, so much is hanging on us, standing in who we are, and God showing us what we're here for. What's he put us on the planet for? So, here you go. Here's, here's the book. It's impossible. The, the kind of strap line for it, really, is it's impossible to be spiritually mature whilst remaining emotionally mature. Uh, immature, sorry. I turned away and read it wrong. Yeah, so there's this link, isn't it, between emotional health and spiritual maturity. And Jerry and uh, Peter Scazzaro, when they were um, writing this book, they talk about that sort of really electric, live connection between emotional health and spiritual maturity. And I used to talk about the interface between spiritual health and emotional health. But actually, now I think, actually believe the two, our emotional health and our spiritual health are the same. They are ultimately hugely connected. Um, and they talk about um, the way that they sidelined their emotional life from their discipleship. And these guys were leading a church. They, um, they lead a church in the Bronx, in New York, and they said that they realized, they came to a point in their life where they felt like they were um, 
They came to, they hit a wall. In fact, it actually happened when, if you've read the book, um, he'd been a church pastor for 20 years, and his wife said, "Guy, if you don't change, I'm, I'm, I'm out. I'm out of here." And he was, he was, he was leading a church, and he. Um, actually hit that wall and realized that there's a whole raft of, of his um, behavior and his emotional life that God was, was undiscipled. And this is what he said, next slide. Um, facing the truth about the emotional part of me unleashed a revolution in my understanding of God, myself, and my relationships. And I would wholeheartedly agree with that. Now, I have been a Christian for a very long time, but I, um, and I would say I was emotionally well-discipled in the church that I went to. Um, and I knew lots about reading the Bible. I knew how to pray. I knew how to worship. I knew how to serve and love other people. Um, but it was really only when I trained as a therapist that I actually had to look much more at my emotions and my emotional life. It forced me to do it. And so I began to grow. I had to grow. I had a relationship with God. But what I began to realize that I didn't have a relationship with myself. Very, very, I did have one, but it was kind of, I, I kept on sort of sidelining it all the time. And I don't know how you felt about Alice actually inviting us a couple of times, how, you know, how we how, when I was tonight. Um, that was quite, I kind of, that was quite strange to me um, when I was growing up. And so we need to, what I discovered was I grew in my relationship with myself and then my relationship with God was so enriched and got stronger. And so did my relationship with, with other people as a result. So, tonight I've got three basic points, all right? Um, <laughs> I've got my eye on the time as well. I'm going to talk about the past. Because the title of what I'm talking about is um, Go Back to Move Forward. There's one reason why we might be stuck is because perhaps we're all about moving forward and we have that phrase, don't we, in our everyday life. We can, all our meetings, and certainly all the meetings I go to, it's all about moving forward. Let's move forward. Okay, moving forward. Um, and so the, the kind of main point in this talk really is about we do need to move forward. Life is about growth and it is about moving forward, but actually maybe our growth moving forward would be a little bit shallow if we don't take some time to move back, to look back at the past. So the, we're going to talk about the past, we're going to talk about moving forward into the future, but let's just take a moment to consider the present. So how are you doing with the present? So do you like my picture there? I have this on my web website where I'm advertising myself as a therapist. So that life sucks, doesn't it? <laughs> Life can suck, and it can be a bit like sucking a lemon. Lemon, And you might be here tonight and you think, well, actually, you know, I'm quite happy. I'm quite happy being a... I'm a Christian. I wouldn't have it any other way. Um, but when I actually scratch under the surface, how are we doing? And here are some of the things I certainly hear in the counsel in the counselling space is many, many people actually um, feel stuck. And by the way, I don't, just, I don't counsel Christians most of the time. I counsel people that aren't yet Christians. Um, but 
Many people are stuck and struggling, um, experiencing mood swings, um, feeling hyper some days and kind of activated and feeling high post other days we're feeling quite depressed and when we look at everybody else's life we don't seem perhaps to have achieved the milestones that other people have achieved and we come to church and we kind of hear about joy and peace but actually that is not part of my everyday experience with my relationships I'm really aware that I either spend my life hurting other people or being hurt by other people so there's a lot of the time I'm, I know that there's more in relationships and so much of the time I can just feel lots of self-doubt loneliness and silent pain and that silent pain I'm always trying to fix it and it doesn't work and I'm then I try to ignore it and distract myself from it I numb it I medicate it I anesthetize it I watch Netflix and all the rest of it um, I keep on saying when I ought to be changing and sometimes I I feel like a fake Christian an imposter I think that is quite often in my real moments um, how I used to feel but if you can't relate to any of that then I just want to say tonight that I'm really glad you're in a good season and as Anne said last week we our purpose isn't to invite you to come here and send you home miserable um, that really isn't our intention so if you don't feel many of these things then I'm that's good you're in a good season but many of us do identify with that just sort of underground feeling of dis-ease and that we're still in, we're often coming back to the same patterns. Does anyone agree with me? You notice those same patterns in your life. And for some of us, it's actually quite a relief to be able to get real and name it. And for me, the saddest thing isn't that we feel stuck or we feel low. The saddest thing is that we're sometimes terrified of anyone else finding out. And I think, and I know many of us here agree, is that we need safe spaces. And that God intends for church to be at that safe space. And one of the sadnesses of my life is that often people come into therapy because they can't find any other space in their life where they can tell the truth about themselves. But I know that church, God intended us as a community to be that safe space. And he's teaching us about that. So it's a little bit about the present. Let's look back at the past. And I'm, I'm going to talk from the Bible this, this, this evening. Um, but I just want to give you some quotes to start off with. The first one is from Winston Churchill. He said, a life unreflected upon is doomed to repeat. And Socrates said, the unexamined life is not worth living. And from the book Scazzaro, he said, if you don't work on your emotional world, you'll pass it on. And then the next slide is a really challenging one that I find um, yeah, jaw-dropping, really. If parents can make sense of their story, and you may not be a parent, but maybe one day you will, um, parents can make sense of their story, particularly the flaws, the gaps, the losses. It can totally change the outcome for the next generation. 
So I am going to um, illustrate this biblically, but for a minute I'm just going to talk, bring a metaphor to you and illustrate this with a metaphor and talk about my own life. So um, here's a tree. We've got a tree? Yeah. So a tree in three parts. Well, I often think about it like this. The, the roots of the tree are the... Um, it's... Um, it's our past. We can't see it. It's invisible. Um, and the trunk represents the I of me. That's me, my identity and my whole, uh, my internal world. So that sort of trunky bit, the brown bit, is, is, is me. And I think about the branches as being everything that's happening in my everyday life. The stuff that happens day in, day out. And in, in the, so you've got the roots, um, the invisible stuff, the trunk, and the branches. And just sometimes when we, things happen in the branches, we think that's just, that's just you know, every, that's my life is the sum total of everything happening in the branches. But the, if something happens in my everyday life, that then impacts my in, whole internal world. And I would say that what's happening in my internal world is will be impacted by what happened in the past, which is invisible. So an example from my life, something that happened in my 20s, some of you know bits of my story, is that I had a broken engagement in my 20s. And here I was, sort of fairly new to London, come to London to be with the guy I was going to get married, and he finishes it. And not only finishes it, but disappears to another country, and I had no idea where he was. And so that was happening in the branches of my life. And then you can imagine what happened in my internal world. Well, I just tipped into a depression. I felt hugely anxious at times, and I almost stopped functioning. Uh, I did manage to keep working. But it was a major, major impact in terms of anxiety and depression. And I had no idea. I just thought I was a defective person. That um, maybe I, you know, other people. I know relationship breakups are pretty tough to experience. But why did this impact me so in such a devastating way? It doesn't make sense. I must be defective. I must be weak. Other people cope better. But then, if you knew about my history, and it was only when I began to train as a therapist, I had, to, I had to look at it. It was part of my course. I'd never, ever understood that I had to do a kind of what happened in my life up to this point. And then I realized that actually at 10 days old, um, my mother disappeared in my life. And when I was two years old, I was in hospital for a whole month and I nearly died. And in those days, I'm so ancient that people couldn't um, come and come and visit you in hospital. So I wasn't with my mum. So knowing what happened in the roots of my life, I began to think, aha, that is why, through a period of change and transition, that is why I majorly wobble. And even just the insight into that helped me. So you can see that there is a relationship, or can be a relationship, between what happens in your, in your branches then happens in you, but a lot of the lot of the time, I wasn't paying much attention to what was happening in my internal world, and I learned that I needed to do that. So that's something from the 
from the tree. So many times, um, I could illustrate that tree hundreds of times from hundreds of people's lives. Um, next slide, please. So we want to move forward. So, you know, going in life, we want to move forward. I just want to move forward. I just want to know what, what's next. But actually, we do actually sometimes need to look. If we're stuck in moving forward, why can't we move? We need to look back. And many times it's because we've got unfinished business, we've got unmet needs, and we've got unprocessed emotions. And the past is never really ended because it keeps recycling in our lives. And just knowing that about myself with being separated from my mum really helped me to understand every little time that I get faced a challenge in life, I needed to support that little, little child in me, that little baby. And if you put it in another way, I needed to hold my own baby. And once I knew that, and I needed to learn how to do that, obviously, um, but I needed to soothe and comfort myself because I wasn't soothed and comfort comforted. And when I learnt, invited God into that, because that's what the Bible's all about, isn't it? Being soothed and comforted. I am with you. I am with you. I will, ne I will never leave you. So, many times we take these things from the past into the into the present, and it, they reenact and they repeat. So let's go for the next slide. So let's look at a, a, have a biblical take on this. So what does the Bible have to say? And this is a quote, um, again, a sentence from Scazzaro's book. He says, the positives and the negatives, the blessings and the curses, um, if you like, the blessings and the sins of our family, going back three or four generations, profoundly impacts who we are today. Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy 5. So when the Bible uses the word family, um, it's talking about our extended family. And our families leave a very deep, powerful imprint on us. And they are the most influential group to whom we will ever belong. And what happens, the Bible says, is that one generation often repeats itself in the next generation. So the consequences um, of the actions and decisions taken in one generation affect those who follow. And so we're going to look um, in a moment of a, an, an intergenerational um, family. And in Genesis, the first book of the Bible, it illustrates this, and we get this um, family tree. So let's go for the next slide. Here you've got the Genesis ancient family. And if you ever wanted to, I think the Bible is communicating us in the very first book that actually the past is important because you, if you do, a, a psychologist call this a genogram, and if you do a genogram, this isn't a, a complicated one, this is the simplest one you can do. But if you do a more complicated one, you can begin to see the patterns and the themes coming down your family line. So you say, well, I'm not, I don't really know about my family history, but anyway, we'll hang on a second. We will, so the, 
positives and the blessings of Abraham. Remember what Abraham, he was obedient, he was faithful, and he had an incredible pioneering spirit, didn't he, in following God. Um, that got passed down. That got, the blessing got passed down, and we all have blessings from our family. It's not all bad news. It's definitely not all bad news. We've got blessings, but we've also got negatives that come down. Let's just think about some of the negatives in that uh, Genesis family. Do you remember um, there were, certainly between Abraham and and Sarah, there were were some secrets, and and Abraham told lies, and there was favoritism, and at times there was poor intimacy in marriage. You can see that definitely with Abraham and Sarah and Isaac and Rebecca. Another pattern that got passed down that Genesis family was that the brothers, the the kids often fell out and there was separation. We see that between Isaac and um, Ishmael, don't we? And Esau and Jacob. And then I'm going to talk about Joseph in a minute. Joseph gets separated from his family. So we can see that there's cut off down the family line. So sometimes we think what's happening in the present is just happening in the present, but it will be connected to the past. And I think, obviously all those patterns in their family were interconnected, weren't they? But I think that there's a deep, deep imprint imprint left by our family of origin, deeper than we realize. And Scazzaro puts like this, well, I might have, I've become a Christian and I have Jesus in my heart, but I've got granddad in my bones. <laughs> but I need to get Jesus in my bones and I need to get his way of doing things in my bones. So how on earth am I going to do that? So Scazzaro then talks about, um, if you read chapter five, he talks about, uh, the, you know, we all know about the Ten Commandments, but he says that in all of our families, um, we have commandments. And these are unspoken rules. And they are um, scripts, if you like, that we just internalize and absorb without even thinking. Um, And we also have, he, he doesn't write about this, but I call them family mirrors. So in our family, we're looking at every, each member of our family, and they are not literally holding up a mirror. It's, it's an invisible mirror. But we're basically asking our family, tell me who I am. And we look in those mirrors, which are, nobody's perfect, so there will be a dis- slight distortion to that mirror. And we look in the family mirror, and we actually come to wrong conclusions about ourselves. Some of them will be good messages that we get from the mirror, but others will be very, very distorted. And the problem is that we believe them. So basic, simple messages like, I'm not good enough. I'm a failure. Not only am I a failure, I'm a disappointment. And actually, I'm not only just a disappointment. Quite honestly, I'm a disgrace. And some of us have internalized lies about ourselves. Circumstantially, there may be reasons why you thought that. But actually, it's it's not totally true. So we pick up um, these scripts, we look in the family mirrors, and we have these kind of family commandments. Um, A commandment is a bit like a behavioral pattern, if you like. And 
if you put the next slide up, oh, there they all are. No, sorry, it, we were on the right one. Go back, thank you. So these are, these are the different things that in our family we're picking up like germs, if you like. They're not always spoken out. Just going to read a bit from my book, which is difficult when you've only got one hand. Okay, so m money. Let me just read out. This is what we will have absorbed from our family. Um, some of these things, anyway. Money is the best source of security. The more money you have, the more important you are. Conflict. Avoid conflict at all costs. Don't get people mad at you. Sex. Sex is not to be spoken about openly. Men can be promiscuous. Women must be chaste. Grief and loss. Sadness is a sign of weakness. You're not allowed to be depressed. Get over your losses and quickly move on. Expressing anger. Anger is dangerous and bad. Explode in anger to make a point. Sarcasm is an acceptable way to release anger. Shall I go on? <laughs> well, I will um, just say, you know, obviously one thing about family, is for some of us, we have been told that you owe your parents for all they've done for you. And definitely don't speak about your family's dirty laundry in public. Attitudes, I'll jump, I'll jump a few. Attitudes towards different cultures. Only be close friends with people who are, who are like you and do not marry a person of a different race or culture. And I'll just jump to feelings because I can't miss that one out, can I? You're not allowed to have certain feelings. Your feelings aren't important. Reacting with your feelings without thinking is okay. So you can see there are different contrasts. And these will be the, the um, commandments, behavioral patterns that we haven't necessarily thought about, but we've just internalized them and absorbed them. Um, and certainly, a couple from my family um, that is really clear, thou shalt not upset people. Avoid conflict at all costs. <laughs> That was one. And the other one was, um, you should, thou shalt always say yes to people and feel thoroughly guilty if you say no. So it's a, quite an exercise to begin. I said to Andy last night, um, are you, um, what, were the, what were the commandments in your family? And we sat there and we thought about it because it's, it's, it's quite interesting. So... No, I've got more to say about that. So I think we need to... Um, we, we said that we have kind of Jesus in our heart, but we might have some of these commandments um, in our bones, if you like. And we need to... Um, for me, discipleship is about reframing that. And it's not an overnight thing. It takes a lifetime of following Jesus and being in his family and receiving his love and receiving the power of the Holy Spirit to enable us to go on this journey. I think it really does. So, we need help. And discipleship for me is all of the things that we know, which is about loving and worshipping Jesus. It's about 
understanding the teachings of Jesus. It's about being filled with the Spirit. But it's also about helping us all to move out of our dysfunctional scripts and our patterns. So in other words, repair the past and preach the gospel to our story and let God touch our story. So the three, these are three quick reasons. Um, go on to the next one, please. Why we have reservations about going back into the past. And we simply don't believe it, that the love and pain of the, the present is linked to the past. It's too painful to go back to the past. Well, I would say um, it's probably more painful not to go back to the past. Um, and we have this unspoken rule that going back into the past means dissing every member of our family, which, of course, we don't want to do. And the fact is it wasn't their fault. They only gave us what they had to give us. So we do have resistances, um, and I would say, just very quickly, I don't know if I've got time to cover Joseph, but Joseph was someone in the Bible. Do you remember Joseph's story in, in Genesis, the beginning of Exodus? He was someone um, who definitely moved, went back in order to move forward. And he, was, he came from a very complex, blended family. And as we know, um, his family did experience trauma. And he was his father's favorite. He was a bit of a brat um, and had no idea how much all of the dreams that he was having and that the interpretation of the dreams were alienating his brother, his brothers. And they hated him so much that they threw him in a hole. So trauma number one for Joseph was having started life with such promise he ends up in a hole and he thought his brothers were going to murder him which they, one of them speaks up for him and so they sell him to be a slave in Egypt so he goes to Egypt um, and he actually does um, quite well he, he, he's a slave but he rises to the top and, and so the guy Potiphar makes him the, the sort of head slave and then we know what happens he is um, so his Potiphar's wife tries to seduce him and and Joseph runs away so trauma number two he goes into prison so there's two times in Joseph's life where he ends up having major time to reflect now, you might think, if that happened in my life, I would rail and I would complain and I would um, be just, why, where are you, God? What's happened to me? But I think Joseph, in those periods of his life where he was down a hole expecting to be killed and spent weeks in prison, um, I think he was beginning, God took him on a journey. And sometimes when we get these setbacks in our life, we rail, we shout, we say, this isn't supposed to happen to me. But actually, God turns what was meant for evil into something really, really good for Joseph. But he had to do the emotional work. So the emotional work, I'm not going to... He, he, first thing was, and he wasn't sitting, staring into the mid-distance with his back on a tree, was he? He was down a hole and in a prison. So this picture's a bit romantic, really. Um, so he had time to reflect on his family history, how angry and unfair his brother's behavior had been, and he began to reflect on how he had been. So he went back to move forwards. He had time. Second thing, 
This was the emotional work that he had to do. He had to stay with some of those painful memories, which we don't like doing. And he got in touch with his feeling. You might think that's an oxymoron, grieving well and suffering well. Um, but in co something called good grief. Have you ever thought of that? Good grief. Um, and this is how God turns our suffering into redemption. And what happened with Joseph was that because he went back to move forward and God began to work in the raw pain and material of his life, he built bridges. Stay on that one. He built bridges and he repaired that intergenerational trauma. And it stopped, with, it began to halt with Joseph. The third thing in going back to move forward, see, next slide, he actually realized his potential. He claimed his territory, if you like, and he actually um, averted an international crisis and he saved thousands of lives in a famine. So, I just rushed that bit at the end, but I, I really do believe that, um, like Joseph tells us, we do not need to, we need perhaps to recognize that some of what is happening to us in the present originates in the past and that God, want, God is very able to go on a repair process with us and you don't need to go to therapy to do this but that God wants to journey with us. If you want to know some of the next steps because I haven't got much to, I haven't got any time to tell you. Just again, go back into that book, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, is one, one of the best titles there is on, on this subject. And just take next steps. But from tonight, it might be just, I think one of the things God is saying to us is don't be passive. Activate, don't be passive. And what does that mean? There are perhaps three quick things. One is, for some of us, we need to, to spend more time reflecting and maybe getting a chapter like or a book like this and just um, beginning to think about what what is hurting and what what about the about my past and we do need to make time for that but the second thing is that even as I've spoken tonight there may be something that you've become really aware of a hurt or a pain a memory and I think activate you may not know how God's going to heal it but name it, come and get prayer tonight. Something that needs repair. You might be at the very beginning of that journey because it is a process. And the third thing is about some of you know that God has called you to something and you are so frustrated that you're not there or you're not getting there or you're stuck. Name the calling, name the calling. So activate and just let God do some stuff. Go back to move forward.